0: hi everybody and welcome to the weekly word podcast i'm chris howard aim coach and this is episode number 72 the weekly word podcast is basically a knowledge resource for all things ultra endurance and not just runs but we're talking triathlons we're talking cycling events, we're talking swimming events, we're talking expeditions, we're talking sailing trips, we're talking mountain climbing, we're talking all kinds of ultra endurance adventures. And basically anything that goes long or goes many days or requires extreme fitness and focus and concentration over many, many, many hours is an ultra endurance event. And the beauty of ultra-endurance is that we grow it from the endurance world. And endurance is a wide term that many of you can apply when you're moving from a 10K to a marathon or from a half Ironman to an Ironman. You're growing your endurance and you're gradually moving ever so closely to that ultra-endurance world. And the reason I like to talk about it not only for the benefit of a lot of my athletes that listen to this podcast, but also because I'm a full-on participant in everything that I talk about with regards to ultra endurance, as well as a participant in the training and the events and the racing and the nutrition and hydration and the mindset and all those things. Everything that I bring up on this podcast, I've not only been through, but I apply every day in my training as well every race or every event as well whether I did my 100k last a few weeks ago last month in the meantime um, and thinking through a lot of the concepts and approaches and things I discuss on the podcast absolutely I was doing most of those things as I'm preparing for an Ironman in a few weeks I am totally applying a lot of the ultra endurance concepts and principles and mindset and visualization and um, being an athlete with regards to prepping and sleep and recovery and fueling and hydrating as well as testing things out trying some different things always observing and then as i go from that event into otillo and the swim run world championships as i build up my training for hopefully doing ultraman this year it's all part of that ultra-endurance platform that I enjoy, quite honestly, sharing with you. Then the questions that I receive every week on email, all the training logs I read, and all the questions I receive in those training logs about training, nutrition, fueling, mindset, prep, it all comes up all the time. And if you have that question, I bet you many others do. And that's why I talk about it here on the Weekly Word Podcast. Oftentimes, I definitely go off on a little bit of a tangent because I'm a firm believer in the balance of, in this lifestyle. It demands so much of us, all these hours and all this focus and all this prep, whether you're a beginner or an elite athlete, it still requires all the hours. It still requires that um, mental and physical prep to get ready for those long training days, whether that's on the weekends or even during the week. As we have stresses in work and life and career and family and other obligations, that's all part of our load as we either go into the weekend or as we carry ourselves through a regular week. And the other thing about ultra endurance is it takes a while to really get to the nuggets and the pieces of information that we're trying to um, discover the complexities of reaching our potential is hard. It's hard to understand. It's hard to see, and it's hard to describe. And so each time we're training, we're getting ready for that next event or adventure, we're peeling back layer upon layer upon layer to discovering not only what we're capable of, what our potential is, but also discovering that we're probably capable of more and that there's a lot more potential there that we realize. But as we're peeling back these layers and learning more about ourselves, we're actually diving deeper into what we're capable of, what more we can do. And that's half of what we discuss here on the podcast with regards to the weekly word. It's all about discovering your potential really scratching that itch of what can I do? How far can I take this? And we're not talking about from winning them or to an elite level of racing all over the world. It's more how far can I take this of reaching my own potential, feeling good about what I have accomplished and achieved and how I've grown and the athlete I've become and how my body has changed, how my mind has changed, how my perspective has changed. All that is part of this ultra endurance balance that we try to grow all the time. And that's why I have this Weekly Word podcast for all of you because I hope it spurs that discussion and that thought process of, huh, I wonder what I am capable of. Because I believe so many of you, whether you're listening for the first time or you're 72 episodes in, know and still are discovering how much more you can do and what you're capable of and are excited to see how much more You can learn and become and what you're capable of. And part of that, that's what this discussion is. It's about understanding and growing and seeing and feeling and being super happy about what we're noticing about ourselves, about our potential, about our fitness and about our growth. So I hope you enjoy this week's podcast. So what are we going to talk about this week? Resting when sick, again, it constantly comes up. And I, I feel like it's one of those things that I can never stop talking enough about. Um, so often I get emails from people saying, oh, well, I thought you meant that for others. Or I thought you thought, um, didn't think yoga was resting. Or I thought I was healthy enough to get moving. Or the classic, this is the most common one, I just feel better when I do something. I address all that and talk about that. I talk about outside intervals with regards to trainer versus outside and not the benefits of trainer versus outside, but more how we wanna progress on achieving intervals and outcomes and progression and growth in our cycling, in our running, um, even swimming when you go from pool to open water, what we're looking to achieve. I talk a little bit about my testing. I took a test last week, a blood lactate test. And just like I talk about for so many athletes and um, in general here on the podcast, all the same themes apply to me as well. Um, I have to dial it back. I have to slow it down. I have to be patient and let my zone two aerobic platform grow a little bit better, especially on the bike. I then talk about holding the line. I talk about all the distractions and things that get in the way in our life with regards to, not with regards to work or family and so forth, but with regards to the voices and the excuses that are around us and in our head on how we can skip that workout and how a little, little, tiny um, mound can turn into a mountain of issues and problems talk about being vigilant and sticking to it and understanding that but that's just a short piece before I go into a reader um, a reader (laughs) a listener question with regards to tapering so um, we go all over the board today um, on this podcast I hope some of you find value in all kinds of the different tidbits some of them are training related some of them are more mindset related Others are more uh, focused on helping you understand what makes this ultra endurance world lifestyle easier for you. Because I believe, I truly believe all of you, anybody can, with the consistent work and the proper timeline, do some amazing ultra endurance events. I'm fully, fully convinced of that and of course we can't do it every year we can't do it all the time but as we balance our lives and we balance our career and our family and windows open up the ability to take on that adventure that challenge that event on the outer edge of what you felt thought you were capable of that is ultra endurance training and racing or participating and i think that's amazing and that's, that's what I want everybody to experience, that connection with nature, that connection with themselves, that ability to look inside yourself every day, spend some time with yourself, love yourself in order to be better for everybody around you and just overall a better person. All righty, enjoy. I would say there's not a week that goes by where I don't get about six or seven emails, log updates, training peaks updates that don't discuss, question, reach out with regards to being sick. And the one one key aspect to being sick is your ability to let go and rest. Now, so many people say that they still want to do some sort of light activity. It makes them feel better. Of course, that's a sensation in your head versus the sensation of what's going on in your body. And just because you feel better mentally in your head emotionally doesn't mean it's actually helping you get healthy again. So rest is the most important priority there. When sick, back off quickly. We have many days ahead of us, we can fatigue you, we can create volume, we can create strength or a higher intensity interval workout for you. Once healthy, but until then, it does us no good that you are fighting off sickness, limiting your adaptation, and so forth. So first off, rest. And then what so many are recognizing and learning to understand, is that once healthy, give yourself another 24 hours of being healthy before re-engaging in an easy way. Why is this? Our body is still feeling the effects of being sick our immune system is still rebuilding itself and trying to get strong and healthy. It prefers to be strong and healthy, to do the functions and all the other aspects that the body needs to be doing on a typical day. Stress, sleep, training, all kinds of things are happening. Now, if we re-engage with any type of training, even easy training too quickly, we're still compromised with a weakened immune system. When you've broken your leg, just because it feels healthy, you have range of motion back, it doesn't mean you right away engage in the full movement and activity. You might have strength back, you might have mobility back, but again, you're careful, you're cautious, you still give it time. The same thing with your body and your immune system. Give it time. Give it that extra 24 hours. I would say 50% of my athletes this season, many of them are newer, have fallen back into becoming sick because they didn't give themselves that 24 hours in between feeling healthy and really being back to being able to load, stress their body properly after being sick. And then the delay is longer, more dramatic, and we become more frustrated and it goes more into our head with regards to our ability to wanting to train again and having events ahead of us. Believe that you can get healthy, that you can get all the fitness back quicker if you rest more now. Take three days, take five days off now versus this lingering for three, four, five weeks. I know we've talked about this a few times on the podcast, but I can't help but constantly remind you to let go. And the constant um, commentary, the constant theme in the commentary is this. I feel better when I do a little something. Of course you do. That's the mind. That's not the body. That's putting your mind at ease, not the body. Don't let the mind get in the way of the body healing. Letting go is a strong, strong um, characteristic of being an athlete. Being an athlete means you have the confidence, you have the ability to rest. Exercising, doing this just because you wanna either lose weight or because you, you, you know you exercise you're not training training to me is being an athlete training to me is having a purpose towards what you're training for not towards a physical goal but towards as in how I look but training towards an adventure an expedition a race an outcome and when you're an athlete you have the ability to let go to rest to recover allow your body to get healthy because then you can string together consecutive, better, smarter training going forward. What are my thoughts regarding using a trainer for intervals and explosive shorter workout intervals versus outside? Well, Important here is to realize we need to be able to ride the wattages, the cadences, the heart rates, the efforts outside. We're getting ready for an outside event. And while trainers help us build the confidence and build the familiarity and build the control around intervals, doing it out on the road is way superior to, the, uh, to doing it on a trainer. It takes a lot more skill, it takes a lot more focus with regards to pedal pressure to do it properly on the road. Now add another layer of complexity with slight inclines and slight rollers and slight downhills and so forth to still maintain the proper wattage. What I so often say to many of my athletes is understanding that intervals done on the road for a bike especially, but also running, Swimming, not so much, um, is that because you can do it in any terrain and because you can maintain so much control, that makes you just th- that much of a better effort um, athlete. And the reason for this is if you can manipulate your heart rate or your running pace by a few seconds here and there, despite knowing headwinds and tailwinds, despite inclines or rollers, despite surfaces and so forth, you are in control of every aspect of your running. If you can keep those wattages and heart rate very tight over any type of cycling terrain, on a climb, on a flat, into a headwind, etc., um, while going down a steady decline, not nothing steep, but, you know, one or two percent downhill and still maintain pedal pressure as in the watts up and the heart rate up, that is full on control full-on control in cycling is being able to hold the wattages within five percent of your range so if you're supposed to be riding something at 200 watts that you can keep it tight over any type of terrain between 190 and 210 watts or within three-ish beats five-ish beats of heart rate You know that roller, that slight incline that you see coming up ahead is going to affect your heart rate ever so slightly. So you ride into it gradually, shifting the gears and slowing and allowing allowing the momentum of the hill to slow the bike. And then therefore for you to find your rhythm and pedal pressure that allows you to maintain your output of your body, not what the computer says. So many athletes attack hills, attack an incline, force themselves to try to get up it quicker, wasting energy, burning matches, driving through our energy stores, kilojoules. Um, and then for nothing, only to coast on the other side, only to um, spin easy once they get to the top, and take a breather no that's what's the point there great i just used a ton of energy to get to the top and now i'm gonna go easy what was the why focus on distributing your energy over the entire ride training or racing distributing your energy over the entire run I have trail runners, when, and we've talked about this on the podcast. When you run 30, 40, 50K, 30, 40, 50 miles, envision it. It's just a point A to point B, over terrain, through environment, hot, cold, shady, sunny, all kinds of different things when you're going those distances. How is the energy I am putting forth to get from point A to B being used efficiently and effectively efficiently once again in order to use the energy um, so that I have plenty where I need it because effectively means using the terrain and the course and portraying my strengths on that course on that terrain on that um, and that location am I running the flats to my ability sure I might not be great on the hills but therefore I want to use the flats to my ability so I'm not going to waste my energy on the hills that just fatigue me so then I can't run to my strengths of the flats I might be smaller leaner lighter more hill experience so then maybe I want to bounce and bound those hills and sort of relax and find my recovery stride on the flats it's all something we train to and practice. I have many of my ultra runners and even just faster runners in general, train a similar course and see what the difference is in approach. Do I run the hills hard today and recover on the flats? What does that net me time wise output? How do I feel at the end of today's training? Or do I do that exact same course and chill on the hills in a and aggressively challenge and run the flats hard. And then what is that compared time-wise and at the, inner, at the end energy efficiently efficiency-wise compared to the other way? Same thing for a bike ride. If I know the course or I can get on the course or I can simulate the course or ride a simul- similar course, I'm going to attack the hills today. But ride steady and a little bit more relaxed on the flats how long did that ride take me Um, easily seen on a computer average watts average heart rate and so forth and then how did that compare to when i rode that same course but i took it easy on the hills but was aggressive went after it on the flats pushed a bigger gear and effort i guarantee you and you again you compare watts heart rate finishing time um kilojoule burn so forth I'm willing to guarantee you that you get to point B faster by working the flats, whether running or cycling, and that's because there's almost always, always, always more flat terrain whereby you can keep a higher speed using less energy than if you work the hills. There's less of those out of a... A 50-mile ride, maybe three or four of the miles will be climbing. But the other 46, you can pound out some fast miles. But the other way around, not sure. Anyway, something to keep in mind. We started this with regards to trainer and outdoor. The growth is to be able to do almost any type of interval work, short or long, high cadence, low cadences, hills, any type of work, single leg drills, all that stuff should be done outside. That would be the um, graduate level type of training. Now, of course, remember effective use of our time. Many of us are busy. Many of us don't have time to get to a location in order to do the intervals as prescribed or to get out of the city or so forth. Of course, there's a zillion different scenarios for that. And so, of course, we're looking for you to efficiently and maximize, to efficiently use your time to maximize the limited time we have. And trainers are fantastic for that rain or bad weather or so forth, right? I'm just saying if the two are on par, are on standard, and we can say what is preferred inside or outside, outside is preferred hope that helps. So I tested last week. And I took a lactate threshold test on the bike to see where I'm at. Because I have Ironman Canada coming up in about eight weeks, I think that is. And while I know that my aerobic fitness is quite good from running all spring, And spending a lot of time out there, hours out there, usually a pretty low heart rate. Um, And I had just done um, an 11-hour run over all kinds of terrain that included a lot of hiking just to keep things under control. Um, I was curious as to see how I am doing on the bike. And it's not a question, I should use that wording differently. It's not a question of how am I doing on the bike. It's more a snapshot of current fitness on the bike. And just because my heart is strong from the running capacity, how that is applied to my cycling is different because different muscles require um, um, a different tax. So my cycling at higher efforts cost me a lot of heartbeats and a lot of, heart, um, lot of effort. Um, They're quite inefficient, those higher intensity efforts on the bike, and therefore I need to get fitter on the bike in order to be able to sustain 112 miles of a race effort, race feel, and then still be able to run 26.2 miles off that bike. And so that snapshot on the bike gave me quite some interesting indicators and something that many of my athletes have heard about. Um, While my thresholds haven't changed that much, I'm just inefficient in maintaining or trying to keep up with those thresholds. And so therefore, I need to dial back my effort, my zones quite dramatically in order to build up better efficiency and economy in my cycling motion. Now, on a quick side note, Many of you have heard me say, and many of my athletes know this, that the heart doesn't know what you're doing. Um, So keep it zone two, no matter what you're doing, and you will get fitter from it. And so I wanted to make sure here that I'm not confusing anybody, that yes, of course my fitness to ride my bike easy, 10, 11 hours, is there. My heart can, um, because of the running. I built up a huge zone two platform running. But in order to get myself over hills and climbs or put forth efforts, that's where the inefficiencies come in. And that's where the heart does eventually need some sports specific training. So a lot of times when I get questions or emails or input with regards to zone two and building an aerobic foundation, yes, when you're doing zone two, the effort is usually quite easy. And therefore, whether you're cycling, running, swimming, jumping jacks, rowing, um, walking, hiking, um, even doing, you know, Stairmaster, things like that, uh, indoor bike, you know, at the gym, uh, not your own bike, but a stationary bike, um, treadmill, all those things, the heart does not know the difference. And if the effort is easy enough, with regards to zone two, then it's fine. And a lot of people when they're traveling or on the road, I say, you know, continue to accumulate your time at zone two, by doing something in that heart rate zone in that range. Because again, your body is a Um, an engine and when it's purring and humming in that certain gear that's good for it and it continues to burn energy like that fats primarily versus sugars and um, it continues to work on efficiencies and looking for homeostasis you know it wants the engine to be burned cleaner and more efficiently it's constantly thinking like that and so, just like a car engine, um, and many of you that are familiar with stick shift manual, um, these days most aren't. But those that are, when you're in first or second gear and you accelerate too strong, it's a it sounds awful on the engine. It is really, um, it's uh, the RPMs wind high. You're sort of jumpy on the on the, in your acceleration and how you're driving but if you find that sweet spot to pull back on the gas on the accelerator just enough and just have that very light fine feel for where you can stay in second gear and the car drives just smoothly enough that is zone two that is what you want to think about i need to slow down enough on the bike and the swimming or on the running or whatever activity so that i'm efficient in that very jumpy gear and that i efficiently find that setting with my foot on the accelerator so it can purr right here in first or second gear Now, is it easy to quickly drop the foot a little bit too much and surge forward and jump to, and wanna go to third, fourth, fifth, and sometimes even sixth gear? Absolutely, absolutely. And the same thing happens as we're exercising, as we're training. We wanna accelerate too quickly or we wanna hit that roller or that hill too aggressively. And quickly, we jump. The heart rate jumps. The watts jump, the pace jumps. And it's like, "Oh, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. You're not efficient there yet, yet. But let's first build that really slight, light touch to stay in second gear. Sorry for those of you that don't know what manual stick shift driving is. That analogy might not have been that well. And so anyway, so that's my current training. So I too, despite having a huge Zone 2 platform and what is... 20 years of ultra endurance aerobic fitness in me (laughs) i have to dial back my cycling watts and heart rate dramatically and i did a ride the other day because i tested a week ago today thursday i spent some time some five five hour rides uh last week and i'll be doing one this week um in order to just build up that aerobic platform on the bike. And it was hard to, not hard, I shouldn't say that. It was um, unfamiliar to go that easy. I too had been going a tick too hard. And that's why that check-in of a test, and it's really the wrong word, it's a snapshot. Um, It's not a test because test implies that there's an outcome, that there's a result. And we're not looking for an outcome or result from the test. All I'm looking for on that test is to get a snapshot of what I am currently on the bike. What am I? What engine do I have on the bike? No name, no person behind it. Let me look at this engine that is on the bike and currently my second gear on the bike needs to be at a wattage range in my case around 200 to 240 watts um, in order to keep it easy enough right so i'll focus most of my rides around 200 to 210 watts the low end of that range Um, as rollers come as um, inclines come i might move to 220 to 240 but I'm going to spin away 80s cadence at 200 to 210 watts. And at the end of a ride, if the average says 190, 187, that's perfect. Because coasting obviously will bring that number, those zeros in there. um, Stopping at stoplights and so forth will bring that number down. And gradually, I will get more and more efficient at those, those lower numbers. Now, I don't race there. Many ask me, well, why would you train there if you're not racing there? Because I want to build the engine below where I'm going to race. Because it's going to make me way more efficient and way more economical to push the 260 or 270 watts. or two, nah, that's, that's probably not realistic. Probably the 250 to 260 watts that I want to race in an Ironman in a few weeks and no it's a short window to get ready for an Ironman and I'm not looking for some spectacular result. again this Ironman I'm needed I'm not I'm not needed (laughs) Um, I need to um, put forth a time a finish in order to validate my hopeful Ultraman entry so um, I'm not really too worried about that and of course I I always have an interest in being um, over-prepared and over-fit for whatever event I do. Um, That way, I can take it in differently. And many of you know this on how I coach. I'd rather you be too fit for the event and over-prepared because A, it allows you to control some things that you usually couldn't control prior in planning, but you have good fitness to deal with that adversity. But when you're over-fit, and over prepared it's a lot more fun to race too it comes together real nicely because you are so aware and present and you're not going all out and taxing yourself and asking so much of your body and brain to do that day you can truly enjoy the race not and not go easy but you have the fitness and the control and the observations and the wherewithal and the the um, you can feel the passion and the joy of the race, of the event, differently when you're well prepared for it. And that makes it fun, makes it funner. <laughs> and it allows so many of you also to then grow in this sport and in this lifestyle with regards to ultra endurance. If an Ironman feels good for you guys and you feel in control, you're excited to move on, not maybe necessarily to more distance, but do the next one, better, stronger, smarter, faster, and so forth. I had an athlete this past weekend do a marathon, and he's had some struggles in the past with regards to doing marathons. He's got um, he's, he's struggled in that he's had to walk a fair amount of it, as well as I think he might have even had a DNF back in the day, and this is his third or fourth one. And, um, you know, it's not some 20-year-old kid. He's, he's my age in his 40s. And he was excited to just show a little bit of improvement. Um, he felt he had a really good winter of training. And, you know, he was confident. But because he hadn't applied any of that fitness, um, he didn't know how it would go. But he did feel good about knowing that he was over-prepared and over-fit. And with that being said um while we didn't do the type of training that he's familiar with in this case we did a marathon whereby he never ran more than 16 miles in prep Um, i'm not a big believer in having to do 20 plus miles and getting ready for a marathon a road paved marathon Um, the wear and tear on the body is too much the recovery time is too much i'd rather layer it differently to create similar fatigue versus pound out an 18 to 23 mile run in prep for a 26 mile run on one day. And so he wasn't sure of it, but he followed the plan. And guess what? Not only did he PR his marathon by close to 30 minutes, he never walked, he never felt taxed, never felt out of control. And he finished and he's now so excited and enthusiastic to try more challenges. Whether that's a marathon, whether that's a 50K, he wants to eventually work his way until Ironman. But because of that first step, because of that first step positive experience and understanding, this is what control feels like. And this is what an enjoyable day feels like. I want more. And not necessarily, again, I don't always try to put more upon all of you into the ultra endurance world that you all have to do more, but more of that feeling, more of that joy of, wow, I trained a lot and the journey was fun. It's, it was okay. Yeah, it's okay. I, and I'm, I enjoy the training, but it still feels good to be validated By a good race, and not necessarily always in a PR or a certain result like that, but just it feels good to um, feel good. (laughs) It feels good to feel good on event day. And he felt that. And from here, who knows where we'll take it and what we'll do, but that's what this should all be like feeling good, feeling in control, feeling wow, I can do a marathon without stopping. I can do the distances without, you know, having a negative experience. We all know, or many of you know, I shouldn't say we all know, but in general, even for 10Ks or for a half marathon or for um, Olympic distance triathlon or for shorter um, events, we all know what it feels like when, for example, in a marathon, a half marathon or a running event you have to slow down and walk it's demoralizing and then we sort of question ourselves and we put those doubts into our narrative for the day and then we start compromising but when we don't have to do that and of course there's always difficulties it always gets hard if it doesn't get hard at some point you're not really racing you're just sort of going through the motions we don't just want to do that we do want to bring up the game for sure But when you don't have those demoralizing moments, that reminds you why you signed up for this and why you're doing it and just creates this huge validation of the training of, of, again, why you get up in the morning, why you're so consistent, why you're so disciplined. Excuse me. I always say, well, you should enjoy the journey. I I agree, and I'm I'm still very strong on that. But having an event here and there that makes that all just that just makes it all feel oh so much better so that you then go back to the journey of training even more satisfied at peace, calm, happy. That makes it way better. So anyway, back to the training um, so those are, that's the work I'm doing. I'm sitting in that zone. Now, um, I do need to do some higher intensity stuff to also continue to sharpen the far end of um, my zones because again, um, about 80-20, right? 20% of the time, I wanna be way up there in the upper zones. For me, above 300 watts, that is. And so just like I spoke earlier with regards to uh, trainer workouts versus outside, I'm first continuing to use that number 300 to 350 watts out indoors for my cycling class and spend that time there and gradually increase my ability to push those numbers outside for intervals and for focused work um, while uh, on any terrain and uh, like i was saying earlier validating my ability for the legs to do it seeing it on a trainer and then taking that outside with no questions in my mind that i can do it outside because i just saw it on wednesday morning inside that's also another way you can work with the two trainer versus outdoors to your advantage you want to um Really solidify your confidence in seeing numbers and control and ability on the trainer so that then when you do the the intervals and the higher intensity work outside where factors come into play like wind and terrain and environment like we talked about, you still know my muscles are capable of doing this. My engine can put it out. Now, I just need to focus and prepare and get into that space and sweet spot so that I can um, get that engine to perform like that on this outside terrain. And so um, that's something not to overlook, to not accept, well, it's outside and therefore I can't do it. No, 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 no. Um, If you can do it indoors with the right mindset, you can do it outdoors. Now, of course, there's what, how far into the week you are, how tired you are, what kind of intervals you're doing. I mean, that's all. That's training and coaching, and that's up to the coach to set it up so that you can successfully execute those intervals or not. Right? A lot of times in coaching, I will set things up so that the athlete should fail, so that they understand better. Well, this is why I want you eating and fueling and sleeping, or this is why I don't want you to move that workout onto a Tuesday if you're going to do a long ride on this day and had that long ride the day before, or if you had a long run the day before, I'd rather you not do the intervals today because there's going to be a big load in your leg, so forth. That's coaching, and that's a different discussion, but you all understand the point I'm making with regards to indoor, outdoor, and so forth. Um, yeah. And so that's my training for the next uh, few weeks on the bike. I got a lighter week here. This week's a recovery week. Um, It works out that way just because I was a lot of kids activities and the end of the school year here and concerts and baseball and all kinds of events. But um, next week will be a pretty big week. I'll probably get in a good Ooh, 16 hours of cycling, a uh, good five, six hours of running uh, that week, and another, you know, four or five hours of swimming. So it'll be a, a big 24 to 26 hour training week. But that's why I am truly allowing this week to be lighter as a recovery week. And that's similar to what I was saying before with regards to sick weeks. Recovery is also so important to, like, of course I feel good. I feel good. I would like to, on a beautiful sunny day here, go longer or do more or feel more um, connected to the longer training. But this is not the week for that. Because many of you might be familiar with this, and I'm hoping you're nodding your head because I feel like this a lot. That when I'm in the big training hours and I am doing the bigger weeks, 26, 30 hours of training for that week, um, and I really am getting tired, and not from a tired muscular standpoint, but just my overall energy supply, right? Like compared to Iron Man with that little, um, not Iron Man the event, but Iron Man the Avenger. <laughs> Spend some time watching that with my kids. Um, that little white flickering, that white light, his power source, it starts flickering during the week, um, during those big weeks. And When it starts flickering and you sort of carry yourself to the bike or carry yourself out to the run to sort of get warmed up and get going or carry yourself to the pool, that's where I remember, man, last week I was excited to do more and this week I'm, you know, heavy, I'm flickering on energy, and that balance between those two energies of wanting versus ugh, um, and not ugh in a disgust way, but just ugh. All right, here we go. Got to get motivated. Not motivated. Here we go. We got to get going. Um, let's get this started. Let's get this going. Um, that that dichotomy between those two emotions is very important to um, to. Keep very clear and separate. This week, I want to feel energetic. I want to feel like I could do more. I want to um, be excited and look forward to the big week next week. Because next week, (laughs) I'm going to be looking forward to the recovery week um, a couple weeks down the road, right? So keep that in mind as well. I received an interesting uh, question from a listener regarding tapering and it's a very valid um, timely question with regards to where we are in the season. We're approaching June 1 and some people are not only planning their season and A races are coming up. A races have already happened and um, what does tapering truly mean? How what's my perspective on it? And um Yeah, some thoughts around that. Now, I wouldn't say tapering is something that you can put a formula to because everybody, again, is different. People react to recovery and rest differently. The traditional tapers, where people bring back volume, let's say by 25% a week over four weeks, um, makes athletes, many athletes, especially ultra-endurance athletes, nervous. You're getting ready for a 100-mile run, and if the last long run you did, 40 or 50 miles, was six, seven, eight weeks ago, you're freaking out come race day. You're disconnected with your endurance self, and it's challenging. It plays mental games. And in many cases, I, like the athlete, rather be more confident and connected to their ultra legs, ultra body, ultra output, cycling, swimming, running, whatever that is, Um, versus being overly rested, which of course has its its magnified benefits and many benefits more than what we're talking about being connected to your ultra-endurance self. But the mind plays so many tricks on athletes that despite being fresher, despite being more rested and better prepared for the event, it takes them too long or they're too psyched out to think that it can go well. So it's a delicate balance right there in that sweet spot how long and since you did your last workout that really keep kept you connected to the distances you're doing an ironman triathlete for example you know three four weeks of not doing something longer where they feel good running along off of a longer bike it starts wearing on them so there's a variety of ways to go about it of course you could have a variety of rest during the week you drop some of the shorter workouts during the week and you just have a longer weekend so that you are resting and you are freshening up but you have that tax on the body pretty close to the race still um other people they just don't respond as well to rest They like to, not only from a mental standpoint, but from a physiological standpoint, do not respond well. Um, It depends on the events for me, for example. There's been years in Kona where I've still done a 70, 80 mile ride on Tuesday before the Saturday race. Sure, it was easy. But just being out there, spinning the legs, staying connected to my distant self felt really good. Was it the smartest thing to do? I don't know. Um, but it meant a lot for me going into the race and based off of past volume that it was right. That 60, 70, 80 miles didn't really tax me that much. I was already on the island and I had plenty of time to recover and sleep and eat well to put away that four hour ride, four and a half hour ride pretty easily and be recovered within 12 to 24 hours from that. So that ties into it too. How do you recover from it? What is your lifestyle currently? Are there other stresses to it? Is your work stress still pretty high? So do we need to dial back on your training volume because you're going to keep the constant work stress high? Are you not getting a lot of sleep? Are you traveling far until the the race, right? If you're going through a variety of time zones and the stress of travel and maybe travel with kids and family. So tapering becomes a very... um, fine art. Um, Now, of course, we want to be too rested. I'd rather you too rested and healthy for an event than tired or slightly on the edge of an injury. But again, these are things we delicately balance and it requires a ton of communication. And this is something new to many athletes too. They think um, when I start coaching them that a taper is just a Uh, formula that we're going to go down in volume like this and like that most of my actually athletes are actually surprised i constantly get stories from them or hear about it um, via others oh chris doesn't believe in tapering Um, chris has is still working out pretty hard or pretty voluminous two weeks out that's very true that's absolutely true. Until I see the side effects that you didn't reach your potential or do as well as I thought you could, um, I keep it pretty high. And I prep in that we do it differently. With regard, instead of volume, I'll say, okay, typically we train you know, six days on, one day recovery a week. As we get closer to the race, we might do five days on with two days of recovery that week. Then we're getting closer to the race. We might do four days on with three days of recovery. And finally, we're getting into two days on, you know, a day of recovery, two days on, a day of recovery. So the recovery becomes what increases in volume and the effort, the focus, the tax on the body decreases in volume. So the hours might stay similar or higher than what people think um, they need. But because so much of it is easy and recovery, it's building in a natural taper, and with that, I can also keep the athlete connected to the volume, the distance, the ultra stuff. That they don't um, think that they no longer can go that distance. I haven't done, you know, uh, more than twenty miles in you know six or eight weeks, and I'm getting ready for a fifty miler, things like that. That is hard to overcome. For athletes, for us Masters athletes, who don't have a lot of experience in doing these distances. So it becomes important, sure. Um, There's many athletes that just trust my taper, but they've been with me for a while too. And I sort of have seen how they respond to different things. There's many athletes who are brand new to me and they don't really know what the taper will look like. And we go through that process. Usually we do quite well with that. That's fine. But that doesn't mean the taper doesn't always change and need to be fine-tuned because there's so many inputs that belong into it again. Our life is never stagnant. It never stays the same. Children grow older and have different responsibilities. Our career, our job, our workload changes. Sometimes it's heavier or, or lighter, right? Sometimes we're on a project or traveling. Sometimes we're in a pretty chill phase and we're at home. Um, the load of the training lead up. How many weeks we got in that were really big and good and how, much, how taxed are we? How much rest do we need from that? what are we getting ready for if our volume was way bigger than the event that we're getting ready for we were able to smash that race and go really hard well if we want to smash a race we need to be really fresh right in order to do four or five hours at threshold all out or an all-out marathon or something like that and when i say all out it doesn't mean you're you're sprinting head back chariots of fire from the first mile, but that you can sustain a pretty strong effort over the course of three, four, five hours, right? Because maybe you're getting ready for an Ironman later in the season, and our volume is actually built on Ironman, and that you are doing um, 75 to 80 mile rides with, you know, seven to 10 to 11 mile runs off of them. Well, then you're basically doing more than a half Ironman almost every weekend. So of course then we need to be fresher and rested differently in order to do a threshold strong effort for a shorter distance to also again use that race, use that intermediate A race, it might be an A race, to again build confidence and um, motivation as we train into the next phase of our next phase of the season or into our next distance or race or so forth. How long do you have athletes taper? That was the first question. Well, again, I think I answered that. That gets very um, individual and um, uh, individual with regards to the athlete themselves internally and then externally, the stresses and the load that they're under. What sort of cutbacks? I do definitely look at the total hours for the week on how I'm cutting back, but I'm not looking for any type of percentages. Again, I'm a fan of how many days of, of a load are we putting together in a row before we need a recovery day. Now, based off of the volume I've seen from 12, 16, 20, 30, 40, 50 weeks prior, I can see, All right, typically we can load for eight days and then we need a recovery day or two. So then as we get crisper, sharper, as we raise the intensity and raise the load prior to an A race, four, five, six weeks out, three, four, five, six weeks out, because um, we still do some high quality stuff four weeks out, um, maybe that load goes from eight and one or two to because the intensity is higher um, maybe six and two six days of load two days of a lot lighter and many of my athletes know that over the course of their training with me that I use swimming because we swim a lot as an active recovery day it, it taxes the heart and it taxes different energy systems with regards to breathing and upper body and allows for the body to still get quite active, but no pounding. It's usually an hour, an hour and 15 minutes. And then the rest of the day can be used for recovery, sleep, stretching, things like that, or that work thing, (laughs) Um, which is of course a constant. Um, But then as we get closer to the race, it might be down to four days of load um, with a quick two days of recovery. So now the athlete never gets quite as tired they recover quicker in those 48 hours and then the next load of four feel stronger better faster and then just when they're like i feel amazing we could do another two days of rest right so in eight days um excuse me in um 12 days in two weeks we've basically had uh four or five rest days or well, not rest days but very easy days and that might be two or three weeks out now um things are really progressing and and accelerating and feeling stronger. And so that two, three weeks out, we might go to, you know, three days or two days on with two days easy, then another two days on with two days easy. And so we stay connected like that. We keep the intensity high. We we still see the wattages and the running paces and the swim paces and the, the bike efforts that make us feel really good about our training and that we're getting crisper and we're feeling fresher we see heart rate numbers that are higher than usual remember a rested heart responds with higher heart rates it jumps it'll beat faster and more powerful the muscle is fresher a lot of people forget that a lot of people underestimate that when they're racing and they're rested the heart will respond with a higher heart rate, not a lower one. But anyway, um, and so yeah, they're feeling really good and they're seeing some great numbers and they're moving and they're excited and then boom, we rest again. Sorry about that. I had to sneeze. (laughs) I don't do any editing as you can tell. Um, just me holding a microphone, talking into my phone. But, um, yeah, so that's, uh, that was that question, what sort of cutbacks? How do you handle tapers in B or C races? Well, I don't really believe that much in B or C races. Now, some of my athletes might be rolling their eyes. What I mean by that is I find every race is a unique opportunity to really race well and improve our racing abilities. And there's so many things that go on in racing that are so important. That we don't want to lose um, the opportunity to test and really work with that. And what do I mean by that? How fast we start, how we pace, how we do different legs, how we do different efforts, how we do, um, how we race somebody. Right? Um, it's a good opportunity sometimes to race somebody because we might need to race somebody in our. Um, a desire to get a kona slot or to qualify for olympic trials or you know whatever that the racing opportunity is we want to sometimes simulate that or set that up prior We want to try different pacing strategies. We want to try different nutrition strategies. In a triathlon, we have three different disciplines. So we want want to increase the effort in one and see how it reacts to the other. So again, so many different outcomes, so many different ways to race that we want to understand what our strengths are, what our limiters are, and how to use them best when all the marbles are on the line at what many people would call an A-race. Again, gaining as much knowledge and information and as many tools in our toolbox so that come race day, we really feel good about knowing everything we could possibly know up until this point about how we want to go about this. It helps strategize, and helps us with our visions, right? Um, in a B or C race, we don't, as, as I don't like those, in any type of not as high priority race but opportunity to race, Um, It might be a great way to work on our mind game with how we envision the race to go and doing um, the full replay or pre-play in our mind and how we want this to go and how we go through all of our transitions or how we go through aid stations or how we see that race starting in the dark with our headlamp on a run, right? Um, Really being able to get better, and build better connections so that we can visualize our race even better or our event even better and I find um, races that aren't as high priority are a great opportunity to practice visualization to practice every moment of that to practice our nutrition and hydration strategies and so forth so uh, please, please use every opportunity to race. And then, you know, you've heard me talk before on the podcast that in o- even if it's a lower priority race and we have a lot of training to do after it, um, in order to recover quicker from it, you can't be too shelled, tired, flat, fatigued going into a race. Because if you're a racer and you're going to race hard and you get your juices flowing for being having an opportunity to put forth a time or an effort or a result even if it's not as high priority the beauty is Um, if you're somewhat rested, A, you set yourself up for that success because sometimes an athlete will say to me in the beginning of the season, oh, don't worry about that. That's just a B priority race or a C priority race. But as it gets closer, they really are hungry to test themselves. And now they're emotionally committed to it. And it's like, oh, I thought that was a B or C race. I didn't really rest you at all for it. I had a four hour ride on Saturday before that Olympic distance race on Sunday. What do you mean? And then they're like, well, I cut it short. I only did two hours because I really wanted to do well. Well, all right. Well, now we're all confused and have our wires crossed with regards to communication, priorities, desired outcomes, and so forth, right? So that's why I like to keep them all. We're racing. If you entered and paid money to put forth a race, then race it. It's called racing. There's way more benefits to it than training through it. But with regards to resting for it as well, you recover quicker post-race if you're not as tired going into it. So um, that's my thought on B or C races. I'm assuming that some of this is specific to events, sure, or the athlete, but as a general guideline. Um, Would also love to hear your pet peeves when it comes to tapering if you have any. Um, There's a variety. Um, I wouldn't call them pet peeves. To me, they're more uh, misguided <laughs> or misinformation out there. For example, carbo-loading. Those, those days are hopefully over. Nobody please do that anymore. Um, that doesn't work. The concept has been debunked a long time ago. The getting off of caffeine has also uh, uh, been demystified. It's, it shows no changing effect. For a regular coffee drinker, for example, and I can give you some data behind that if you want to email me um, and the science behind that on all this stuff. If in, in general, in this podcast, if there's things you want more information of or want more the science behind or the reasoning behind or a better explanation of, feel free to email me i'm i'm pretty much always available with regards to questions like this um i might not get back to you immediately but i tend to make an effort to get back to everybody with their questions whether on the podcast or in writing and i think plenty of you have tried that and have seen that i do that but um Yeah, so more pet peeves. Uh, You know, I'm a big believer in sleeping um, a lot that week, but the most important night of sleep is not the night of the event, but the night prior. Um, And what I tell all my athletes is stay in bed an extra hour or two when they wake up and force themselves, even if they're just reading in bed or listening to a book or listening to music or who knows what they're doing in bed that extra hour or two, many of them fall back asleep because they're gonna stay in bed to an extra hour or two. And it feels amazing. I've gotten always really good feedback about that it, they the athlete always comments, man, staying in bed and forcing myself to stay in bed, just that extra hour was super valuable and made me feel super good. And I saw how much more sleep I still needed or stuff like that. Um, because the night of the race, you're too nervous. You have too many thoughts going through your head. Um, You got butterflies and adrenaline going and you get stressed out even more if you haven't gotten a lot of sleep or that you're not getting a lot of sleep and you're about to take on this major adventure, this major event. and, and sleep is a different thing with it when it comes to ultra ultra endurance right when we're doing multiple days that's a different strategy when we're uh, talking about a month or so of an event like some of the solo sailors i work with um we prep prior with regards to sleep and nap strategies and um cognitive skills and physical ability on lack of sleep or a lot of sleep or minimum sleep. We work through that, um, especially with regards to minimum sleep and um, maximizing physical activity. Uh, that becomes a very um, individual but very important gain uh, game. Um, also, when's the best time of day for you to do your best physical activity along with when you're getting your best sleep? You'd be surprised Not you but you all, the listener, would be surprised how many people sleep cycles and effective sleep is at different times of day. Um, And sometimes, whoa, Wendy, sometimes some people get their best sleep or most effective sleep with regards to shorter sleep cycles, not when you're getting your usual eight to nine hours or seven to nine hours, but when I'm talking three, four hours of sleep because you're on a major adventure expedition or so forth that it might be worth um, doing your event till three in the morning and then sleeping from three to seven versus from 11 to three. Um, I learned this with um, my uh, uh, racers or or event participants when they did Perry breast Perry. you know 72 hour cutoff and they had to ride their bike through a couple nights in a row but we knew we wanted sleep and so we worked in in advance on when is the best time for them to take their mandatory naps right because these are um, events where you can stop anywhere and take a nap um, and the only way you Uh, you validate your distances and so forth in the meantime a lot of it's with Garmin but you get um, a receipt gas station or something like that to show that you were there at a certain time and so forth anyway those are different um, stories and different inputs than this taper but yeah so try to get extra sleep the week prior, the three, four, five nights prior. It'll make a big difference and you will not be as freaked out or nervous or frustrated the night of your event that you're not getting a lot of sleep. And even that slight taking off the edge of not worrying about sleep actually helps you get through that night a lot better. Um, When you usually get eight, you might only get five, right? Because you're tossing and turning and thinking which is fine. Five is fine because you're rested and you've gotten plenty of sleep the last few nights. Um, Other pet peeves that I can think of with uh, tapering. Um, Nothing that comes to me off the top of my head. I mean, the, the biggest danger, let's say in triathlon, because a lot of people are on site of a half Ironman or Ironman because they travel to it is that they train too much the days prior they see all the people out on the road and they see all the cyclists and all the runners and all the swimmers and everybody's doing something and many struggle with just resting and ignoring that and allowing your body to recover and allowing the rest days needed leading up to it. And so so many people, they use a lot of energy and train too much the days leading up to their most important event. Kona is spectacularly known for this. The amount of energy people waste those last few days of watching others do their training or do their thing and thinking, I need to be out there doing my thing. Look how fit and fast that guy looks, that girl looks. Well, I need to be doing what they're doing and they're out there. Now, is that person only doing that? They only saw them that one time today and the rest of the day they're actually resting? Probably. Is that person maybe not even doing Kona and just there on the island supporting somebody and out training um, while they're getting ready for their own event? Possibly. Um, Is that person on their uh, workout because they took the last two days off? Possibly. So, we all have our own individual stories, and don't get your energy knocked off. Um, It's kilter because you see so many other people there um, doing something. A lot of people lose faith in their plan, in their training plan, in their ability to rest, and these last few days, despite having trusted the plan and the system for months prior, and then they ruin it in the taper in the last two, three weeks or two three days even and finally the other thing with regards to taper is that many of us feel bad feel lethargic feel disconnected feel achy feel almost like an injury coming on or many of us do have an injury coming on i would say for 10 years Of the many years I've done, I did Kona in a row, but I think a good nine to ten years in a row, I got what was called a phantom injury about two weeks prior to Kona, and it took about seven years for the physical therapists and the sports medicine practice that I go to for them to finally point out, you know what, Chris? Here you are again, two weeks before Kona. Don't you think this might be a phantom injury? I mean, we'll gladly help you. We'll calm your nerves. We'll treat you. We'll you know, give you some e and help you work through it and do some rehab and massage work and acupuncture. But do you really need it? Is it really something wrong with you? Or is this sort of just part of your process that you get this phantom worry and concern and, oh, I'm falling apart? Absolutely happens. Um, and then I started realizing it. Um, pretty clearly and uh, luckily it went away um, from one year to the next after seeing them for seven or eight years in a row is actually quite funny. But yeah, so a lot happens. We feel disconnected. We're not doing the training the same way. And what's going on there for many people is they forget that in the consistent training that they've been doing, whether running, cycling, swimming, or the combination of all three, a general fog uh, settles over our body and our perceptions. Not necessarily that we're always tired or always lethargic, but we tune out the niggles and the fatigue because it's completely normal. It becomes the new normal. Well, of course I'm tired. I just did X amount of training this week or and after a variety of weeks you just don't even notice it as much because you're like the logic of I'm doing a fair amount of training therefore this is how I should feel this is the new normal becomes something you tune out but as we rest and as we taper and as we pull back on the volume and become fresher we our senses are heightened how we're feeling we because we care more we should be feeling better I did this is my second rest day how come I'm feeling achy how come I'm not as fast as I usually am even when I train more hours how come my legs feel tired just by doing these intervals and I've just had two rest days how come I can't swim as fast how come how come how come so it becomes very um powerful in our taper to really um, not overanalyze all the things that are happening with our bodies because it's a transition time we're not fully rested yet we're not freshened up enough yet and we're not in big training mode we're in that transition phase and in that transition phase we get our signals mixed up a lot we think we should be a lot faster or have push higher watts or push a better pace. But w- the body isn't recovered yet from it and therefore is confused in how it should perceive it. And having done a variety of tapers helps you better understand that or recognize that. Oh, I'm on day four of my first week of backing off and resting a little bit. I always feel like crap here, right? I mean, that's a common thing that you hear from many athletes. Oh, I typically feel awful two weeks out of the rest, out of the race. Well, that's because they know that they're in that transition phase of listening too intently to their body because they think they backed off a little, but it's not backing off enough yet in order to get the outcomes that they're wanting on race day. And most athletes I tell, I say, listen, we only want to be good and fast and feel great and perform on our best on one day or as of one day, whenever the start of the event, adventure, expedition, whatever is. So don't ask your body to do all that or be in that place yet when it's still a week away, or 10 days away, or even two, three days away. Trust that it'll be there when the gun goes off. And, you know, the beauty of ultra endurance events is if it's not right there when the gun goes off, I guarantee you, you put a couple of hours in, it'll be there because it's only logical if you did the work and recovered and got some sleep and follow the plan, it will be there. It always is. It's always there below the shoulders. (laughs) It's in our body somewhere, an amazing performance. And you've trained it and you've done the hours and you've done the work. So... I think that should answer everything with regards to tapering. I mean, these are things that often come up as I'm discussing other questions or race plans and so forth with taper. So I hope this gave you a good general guideline. But again, um, I think I'll be talking about it over a variety of. Um, different podcasts, and then, you know, I'm doing the races myself this year with regards to uh, to Tilo and Ironman, so I'll have some taper insights there of myself as well, so I hope that helps. It wasn't in that big A race or event or adventure that you've been looking forward to or training for or preparing for or getting ready for for months ahead of time. It wasn't in the big training weeks where there were few distractions. It isn't in any specific individual workout that most of us succumb to weakness. We are taken apart slowly, convinced to take an easier path, enticed by comfort. Most of us aren't defeated in one decisive action, workout, event. We are defeated One tiny, seemingly insignificant surrender, for lack of a better term, at a time that chips away at who we are, who we really should be. It isn't that you wake up one day and decide, that's it, I'm going to be weak. No, it's a slow, incremental process. It chips away at our will, it chips away at our discipline, We sleep in a little later, we miss a workout, then another. We're not as prepared, we're not as focused on getting what we should be getting out of that workout. We start to eat what we shouldn't eat and we drink what we shouldn't drink. And without realizing it, one day you wake up and that you become something that you never would have allowed. Instead of strong, you're weak, you're out of shape, you're disconnected. Instead of disciplined, you're disorganized, lost, unmotivated, actually quite um, disheartened. Instead of moving forward and progressing, you're moving backwards and sort of decaying. And those things happen without you seeing them, without you recognizing them. So you have to be vigilant. You have to be ready for this it's coming at you all the time you have to hold the line to the seemingly insignificant little things that do add up that do add up those index cards and you being prepared is holding the line against those forces trying to take you out of your action out of your progression Those index cards, your thought process, your preparedness, your communication, your coach, is helping you hold the line so that you become more routine-oriented, so that it becomes habit, so that you don't become the person you never thought you'd be. Hold the line on the seemingly insignificant little things, things that shouldn't matter, but that do it's in your power it always is all right i think that'll do it for this week on the weekly word podcast episode 72 and something that i wanted to ask all of you about or for is if you can think of anybody that you think it would be worthwhile for me to talk to um, whether it's roundtable format or q a format or somebody who you think or be curious for me to have on the podcast. Let me know. Or if you have a recommendation with regards to, hey, I know so-and-so, I would love to hear you two talk about X or Y or Z. Um, I'm always, always open to talking and debating and having a good conversation in the ultra endurance world. And remember, ultra endurance is what you make of it, right? Um, For you, the 10K runner, a marathon might be ultra endurance. For you, the marathon runner, a 50 miler will be ultra endurance. But as we grow in our distances and we grow in our commitment and our understanding of ourselves and our potential, it's an amazing journey. And you learn so much more about yourself and the deeper into the ultra endurance world you dive, what's amazing is that you all get more time to spend with yourself, with others, with reflecting, with self-observation and self-understanding and self-realization. And there's so much that's happening there, reconnecting you and being in the fresh air and outside and nature and riding your bike and being immersed in water and all those things that are invigorating and make you feel alive. And that beauty and that ability is something to really be proud of and continue to grow with. And as you try to balance it all, which is what I talk a lot about on this podcast, remember how lucky you are to be able to be doing this and to have the time and the support and the schedule and the insights that you have with regards to being able to put this all together in a week or in a day or in a month or however you get it done. So have a great week, everybody. And I will talk to you on episode 73.